Welcome back. It's a new week and a new episode. So excited to have you all here. Uh, a quick intro here for this episode is we have returning guests, uh, which makes me so excited. We have John Udis, Program Director for Addiction Recovery Services, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, as well as our friend Mark Lefave, aka Scurvy Dog for WSCAFM, also Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Thank you guys for joining us again. Today's discussion is deep. It is on spirituality, a huge part, as you guys have learned and understood, of the recovery process. And what I'd love to ask all of you before you listen to this to do is to put aside um, your immediate response to think this is about religion. This is not about religion. This is about spirituality. And what you have to remember in, uh, in recovery is that oftentimes as somebody is struggling through addiction, alcoholism, substance use, they are struggling with a broken spirit. Their spirit has been blinded by the selfishness and self-centeredness that has come into play with their addiction. So to put it simply, just remember that this uh, concept of spirituality, and as we discuss, should go hand in hand with religion. And religion can look very different from person to person. This is not about that. This is about how spirituality affects somebody with a broken spirit and the steps that we can take to try and bring the spirituality back to somebody. It's really about being grounded, being connected, being mindful of who you are and how you continue forward every day. Love this discussion so much. I really hope you guys get something out of this. As I say in every episode, John and Mark, thank you as always for joining us. Enjoy this discussion, and please, if you have any thoughts, if you want to hear more about this, uh, please comment. Please visit us on Facebook, Faded Podcast. Visit us on Instagram, Faded Podcast. Or send us an email, fadedpod at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, as always. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 18. Uh, very excited to have um, two of our great friends from episodes 9 and 11 back, John Udis uh, and Mark Lefave, together this time to talk spirituality. I think as we've gone through our episodes uh, 1 through 17 and really discussed um, a lot of the stories that go along with some of those who have struggled, family members who have been there um, along the way, and how that's affected everybody, we've gotten some really great education along the way on the way this comes to be and digging deeper into um, how addiction really affects the mind, body, and spirit. And so um, as we continue to learn and discuss, uh, we felt that narrowing in on mindfulness, spirituality, and kind of how that affects the whole cycle, um, as we've heard over and over again, uh, would be a great topic. So uh, John, Mark, Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks for coming Hey, Jackie. <laughs> Great to be here again, Jackie. Love it. Uh, John, let's start with you. Just, um, you know, you're a clinician. You've, you've got your amazing facility that you work with um, clients in day in and day out. Talk in just in general about um, how spirituality, mindfulness plays a role in um, not only recovery, but, but how some of your clients might suffer through addiction. Like how important is it? Where does, kind of, where, where does it stem from to start us off? Yeah, so I mean, spirituality is obviously a really broad topic. And I'll say that 
because of the way that people sometimes mix up spirituality and religion mm-hmm. uh, they you know the folks that come to us for help might have some hesitance or even outright resistance to talking too much about it when we use specific terms so we'll usually take the approach of kind of like easing easing our way into those conversations and just exploring them by asking people open questions like you know what does spirituality mean to you if it means at all how might that factor into you getting better and you changing your behavior so in an introductory sense those are those are ways that we might talk about it. Um, and then we can also use that conversation to maybe make the distinction between religion and spirituality and help people who might have, you know, sometimes people talk about having religious trauma in the sense that they were raised with a religion that, you know, was too dogmatic or, you know, created a lot of negative emotion for them. And so we use that as a really kind of like, way to ease into that conversation and get at the client's perspectives on it when they come to us for help. Yeah. How quickly do you get into the spirituality discussion? Um, when somebody comes through your door, I mean, is it, is that a pretty quick discussion? Um, knowing that that's a big part of the puzzle for, um, kind of for healing or, um, how does that come to be? If I were to someone that was struggling, came through your door today, um, how quickly do we get into that? So in the individual conversation, Um, for admission, like the intake um, evaluation, we will ask, so when they're separate from the group and it's just that person coming to us for help and then maybe one clinician, maybe an intern, we'll ask, you know, again, I'll try to ask something really broad, like, you know, what experience have you had with any type of religion or spirituality and how do you see that factoring into your recovery? So we get a sense from them when they're apart from the pressures of the group of what their take on that particular topic might be. Once they actually get into the group therapy sessions, we, we may not really use the term spirituality at all. We might get at more related concepts that people uh, might still be reluctant to talk about, but are a little bit more willing, you know, things like powerlessness or change and acceptance or forgiveness you know, those are all, those are all ideas that are related to spirituality that we try to help people with to get them to move along in their healing process, but in a way that feels more comfortable for them. Um, it can depend on the group a lot too. Like if we have a group of people that are bringing up their own ideas about spirituality quite a bit, then we might dive into that conversation more directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but if not, we're going to talk about related concepts like forgiveness, acceptance, gratitude, meditation, or mindfulness, and use those, those conversations to tie in spirituality. Yeah. And if I'm, if I'm learning correctly, that the kind of higher power, um, and being able to get through the 12 steps properly comes up pretty quickly in the 12 steps, correct? Yeah. And I think that'd be, you know, a good place to bring Mark in too, but those are, you know, concepts of higher power and powerlessness are in like the three steps, especially. And so if folks are doing step work and coming to our program, that that's the type of a situation where it might come up more often. Like if there are people who are having step work experiences and working through those first three steps, we may, we may go into that conversation more head on and use 
folks that are doing their step work to sort of facilitate that discussion with everybody. That makes sense. And and Mark, so some, from somebody who has kind of gone through this this gamut and recovered, um, what was your just in general perception before um, before you sought help on spirituality? You know anything like what was your perspective on that going into it? And then how did it change as you kind of learned through your recovery? Um, that's a great question. I tried to. Um, I tried to get sober on my own for many, many years and I had pockets of success. Um, you know, I was well, I was able to be abstinent from alcohol and drugs, um, on two different occasions, once for one year, once for eight years. And the one that was uh, for eight years is interesting because I was anything but sober. I was abstinent, but I was, um, a, a raving lunatic. Uh, because I had completely lost all sense of what I characterize as spiritual values, which, you know, it's kind of the the recovery way of saying, you know, how I was brought up and the things that were brought to me and taught to me by my family and, and my extended family, and that uh, I learned to adopt as kind of tenets for my life. But I, you know, I was trying to do it on my own. And so when um, when I when I got into trouble again, I was really at the, the bottom of the barrel. They say that, you know, you know, when you hit rock bottom, I mean, I don't think the elevator could go any lower than what I was other than perhaps being successful and taking my own life. So I had absolutely zero sense of um, spirituality. Um, I was brought up Catholic. Um, I, I, you know, I went to church because my parents asked me to not, they didn't force me to, but they asked me to. And, you know, I went through, you know, the sacraments and everything like that, but I didn't really get much out of it. And in hindsight, I didn't put much into it. Hmm. Um, whereas, you know, being educated and eventually practiced in the art of mindfulness and developing a sense of something out there that, that's, you know, bigger uh, than myself, that is really what started the dialogue of what my concept is of a higher power and in, in myself. But what, what, I think the, the turning point was when um, I arrived at rehab. I was in my uh, dormitory room or the bedroom. Um, I had a roommate, but he hadn't checked in yet. And I was alone and I was unpacking all my stuff. And I had letters from my kids and my, and my wife. And that's when I had my moment of clarity in terms of I will do anything that is asked of me in order to beat this thing as long as I'm not the person in charge. I could not do this on my own and that I needed, whether my higher power was the treatment center, whether it was the group that I was there with, you know, whether it was a guy with a white robe and a flowing beard, um, you know, whatever that was, there's something out there that kind of pushed the button on starting this whole universe thing um, and that, that allowed me to find my moment of clarity and rely on something other than myself to get me back on track. So tying it back to what John was talking about, I felt as though I was powerless but I knew I wasn't helpless. Hmm. And there's a big difference between the two. Um, and so for me, after I get out of treatment, in fact, ironically, I went into intensive outpatient treatment where John was the director, it was at another facility, <laughs> which is where I, I came to know John about eight years ago. In fact, it was eight years ago this month, John. Congratulations. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not my sobriety that it was eight months ago, it was eight years ago this month, first week in October that I came into your IOP. So in any of I was congratulating you for meeting me, not for your support. 
Oh, okay. Like, there's, Jackie, there's that humility that we all gain in recovery, right? Um, <laughs> and I say that with all the affection I can muster, John. Um, so I, when, I, when I get back, I made a commitment to do my 90 meetings in 90 days and you know, all the stuff that they've given me in my aftercare plan. But what I didn't sign up for, but I did anyway, was doing the 12 steps. And I did it with an, an elder from my group who um, you know, was very skilled and very experienced. He, people in the, in, in the Seacoast of New Hampshire refer to him as kind of a 12-step um, a savant. And he's very intellectual uh, as it relates to the power of the steps and how to live your life in sobriety. And so to, to answer your question directly, it was during those first few months with this individual that as step two, says, I came to believe that there was something other than me out there that could help restore my sanity, which is the essence of step two. Mm -hmm. And as long as I'm not my own higher power, I've got a fighting chance. So I, at that point, decided to kind of hand it over. Right, right. Because it's a lot of, we talk a lot about selfishness, self-centeredness um, in that. And so that's, it's, it's really powerful to hear you say that. And John, so as you, as you see someone kind of Maybe, maybe they don't, maybe not everyone that comes through your door kind of battles the idea of, of spirituality, religion, higher power, but how do you take somebody from, you know, not understanding that from that selfish point to, to getting to the point where they are, you know, giving it up to a higher power or willing to believe that the higher power exists? Like, how do you as a clinician and how do you guys in your um, facility, like, how do you do that? How do you get them there? <laughs> yeah, and I also want to make a footnote after the joke I made. Humility is a very important spiritual principle that I think we should revisit right. in this conversation. But first, you know, with what you asked, one of my favorite groups to facilitate is one where we ask people so that so our groups are set up where the first half is um, everybody takes a turn answering some questions mm -hmm. that we have that kind of tie into the topic for the day, and then the second half is us covering that topic that kind of like educational piece and one of the groups I've been doing for the longest and has always been my favorite has been asking people two questions that basically get at both sides of the serenity prayer you know what are things in your life that you can change and we change up the wording on it and the phrasing on it from time to time but it's essentially what can you change and what are you working on accepting and we use that check-in dialogue to then do the second part of the group where we make, you know, the lists of what people identified on each side of them, um, change and acceptance. And we talk about that, how that relates to the serenity prayer, which is, you know, a really important recovery um, mantra for a lot of people. One of the concluding pieces of that group, though, that we'll often point out to the clients is that if you look at the list of things that everybody's working on accepting, you don't have to even identify it as a guy with a flowing beard and a white robe. You just have to acknowledge that it's there and you don't have full control over it. And that acknowledgement in and of itself is enough to say that you have a higher power. Right. Like Mark was saying, it could be the group, it could be the treatment center, it can be the universe, it can be a deity of some kind. It honestly doesn't have to be anything thing specifically as long as someone can believe that it's okay that they don't have full control over the entire universe because that helps people 
open up to the idea of, I don't need to be dishonest anymore. I don't need to try to manipulate my family or, you know, whatever, any of the behaviors that went along with the addiction. They realize that they can stop putting so much effort and energy into trying to control the things that aren't theirs to control. And a lot of those things are, have to do with the environment. People spend a lot of time trying to control other people. People spend a lot of time trying to um, change the past, which they can't do, right? And so the more effort and energy they're putting into those things that they really ideally need to accept, the less of a concept of a higher power or spirituality they're having. It's almost like the addiction is when they have those two things backwards. People who are actively engaged in unhealthy behaviors or who are addicted to something often spend a lot of time and energy on the things that are out of their control. Yep. They don't put enough of their effort and change into what they can actually influence, which is themselves and their own behavior and their own thinking and how they interact with people and stuff like that. Yeah. Conversation a lot of times will help people have the light bulb effect of like, okay, that seems reasonable even if i don't have a god i can just acknowledge that i'm not in control of the universe and it sort of liberates them to to get better in some ways absolutely how uh how often if any do you have you know individuals that may still have trouble with that you know where most people are grasping it like is it pretty common for you to have a few people or maybe a lot that just say i just i'm just not buying it <laughs> and does that yeah. relate i guess does that correlate my follow-up question would be does that correlate to someone that's not really ready to get better maybe but what i will say is people are a lot less likely to reject the idea of i'm not in control of everything mm -hmm. And they are to like, people are more likely to say, I'm not going to pray right. or I'm not going to start going to church or I'm not going to start believing a specific religion. It's a lot harder for them to fight against the idea of, I don't have control over the entire universe. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? <laughs> but I think it's a, again, it's a gradual way to get them shifted, you know, move the needle a little bit towards some concept of spirituality or powerlessness in a way that they're more open to. As far as it correlating to whether or not someone will or won't get better, that can be a little bit harder to predict, but probably overall, the more open-minded someone is to any ideas, they're going to have a better shot at growth and change. That could be any idea, whether it's spirituality or something else. Yep. Yeah, no, I was going to say, John brought up a really good point, and, and I, I, I always seek um, meetings where I have an opportunity to talk about steps two and three and step 11, which kind of are the bookends of spirituality uh, for me personally, in that one of the hurdles that people have a struggle, that people like me who are, as you know, from my relationship with your dad is with an engineering and science background, is this notion that if I don't understand that it, it doesn't exist. Hmm. And um, there are, again, this goes back to hubris and humility, but I overanalyze, I over, uh, intellectualize things like that or you know I've done it in the past and we don't necessarily have to believe something we cannot believe something or understand something and that something can be true simultaneously both of those conditions can exist together and that I think is something that people if they stop and think you know unless they're just being cynical for the point of being cynical 
um, that, you know, if I don't understand it, that's okay. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So that's point number one. And then John talked about, um, you know, forces that are out there. Um, I like to talk about a higher power in the context of things that we're very much familiar with, but we take for granted. Number one, the concept of gravity. Um, gravity is not something that we can control. And it's a power that's greater than ourselves. And I ask anybody that stepped off on, off of a roof onto a ladder that went sliding like I've done in the past, oh. learns very quickly that they have no control over gravity. Mm. And then the other concept is time. You can't stop time. You can learn to adjust your, your life and your, your activities and, and you know, how the universe moves forward and everything is something that doesn't change as a result of something that mankind or something that I can change. I can't harness time. I can only cope with it. So, and that usually gets people thinking a little bit out of the religious box and more along the lines of, okay, there's something out there that's going on. Karma, uh, you know, a ripple in the universe. Um, but I know that for me personally, that the condition of my spiritual health or my, what we call my spiritual condition is oftentimes a key indicator in terms of how I'm doing with my recovery. That's really, it's really helpful to, to picture that too. So John, talk about the relationship between somebody's level of spirituality and the recovery process. So like, does it, does it grow as, okay, we've, I've admitted, okay, there's something more, more than me, right? There's a higher power. How do you like, how does the, their level of, of spirituality affect the recovery process? I think it definitely can have a direct positive impact. Um, I've seen folks get better who would probably not say they got that spiritual, but it might be that that's just their interpretation of the word, not necessarily like exactly what's inspired either, right? Like they might have got, they might have become a lot kinder to people and gotten a lot more humble mm -hmm. um, and, and, and harness the power of humility. They may choose not to call that spirituality, but if those factors are in place, it probably had a direct uh, net positive impact on them and on their recovery. So I think in that regard, it's definitely related. Like people will, the more open people are to those concepts, and like I was saying earlier, just the more open-minded they are in general, the possibility and to the idea of changing their ideas even, that opens them up a lot more to getting better think there are people who would choose not to use those terms, right? Just like people choose not to use the term addict or alcoholic yep. to talk about their recovery journey. Sometimes they just may choose not to identify with spirituality and religion, but they may very much get some of the principles of it and use them in their everyday life. Right. And that's a great segue. So talk, talk a little bit more about, about the principles around spirituality and kind of the way that you teach to, to try and bolster that in somebody. So they're, they're at a place where they're willing, they're open. And then what happens from there? What, how do you kind of guide them through becoming stronger within that? Basically, all, a, lot of the, a lot of the other groups that will do with people focus to me on a principle that's also related to spirituality, like, um, like forgiveness, right? We'll do a whole group on forgiveness. And to me, there's a lot of forgiveness of self and forgiveness of others that relates back to our spirituality and our acceptance of um, the past, you know, and like Mark was talking about time is definitely a force that 
most people are able to admit they're not in control of. Mm -hmm. And so how do we help the person understand how they can relate to their past and even their future in a way that keeps them healthy and spiritually well? Part of that is about forgiveness, at least as far as the past goes, right? So helping people understand their past through a lens of that doesn't need to define me. I can use it to grow and learn as a person and forgive myself and others for past mistakes. To me, that's a cornerstone of spirituality. Gratitude, you know, helping people learn to focus on what's present as opposed to what's lacking. It's a really useful coping skill, but it's also related back to spiritual principles and what people believe in. Am I going to believe in lack and fear and anxiety and trouble, or am I going to believe in, you know, possibility and hope even when things are really hard? or at least be able to see some glimmer of it, even when things are really hard. And, and to me, those are spiritual things, but some participants in the group may not really connect them so much with spirituality, but to me, it doesn't matter so much the terms that they choose to call it as if they're using it as a way to get better, you know? Right. And Mark, as you were going through your own journey of kind of coming into spirituality, you know, once you started to get into recovery, like, do you remember any specific kind of aha moments, that term, um, or, or specific um, realizations that you had within yourself as you were kind of strengthening your own spirituality? Most definitely. So I would first, John brought up forgiveness and uh, gratitude is two of the foundational tenets of of uh, spirituality. For me, there are two others. And if you put the four of them together and try to abide by them, I think you've got a really decent shot at being able to be of service to others and, and uh, be on a track of accepting change and growth in your life. And so the third one for me would be uh, truth. There's an absolute truth in the universe, whether we choose to believe or not believe. Something is either there, something is not there, something's true, something's not, you know, I mean, it's right. right there, it, there's always an, uh, an absolute truth in my view. And then the, the other one is harmony, where, um, you know, things being in balance. So um, if there's, a, you know, I think of the ripple, you know, you, you toss a little pebble into a pond and it ripples outward. Um, you know, the energy that we expend as humans and as living things on this planet, we also, our actions, our thoughts, our words, um, they also create ripples in the universe, whether it's how they affect other people or how they affect society. Uh, in, in general, I call it, you know, kind of doing th something positive today for the universe. I'm going to give back to the universe today by making a conscious effort to do something in that regard. But for me, the aha moment came in, um, in treatment where I had um, a guided meditation that took me to kind of my my favorite place in the world is in the Maine woods. And um, at the time we had a place up in Ramsey, Maine. And uh, I, I basically participated in a guided meditation that kind of took me on a journey to visit my, my late brother and reconcile his death, some of the challenges I had with my parents along the way. And then I went off and I sat on a rock in, in this meditation. I sat on a rock that was facing um, east. And so as the sun was coming up, 
over the pine trees and through the pine trees, there was a parting in the pine trees where the sun would land on me and warm me. It was a very, very cold day. Um, that was a guided meditation that actually happened to me after that meditation hmm. in real life. So I was up in Rangeley. I was walking through the woods. I was being very thoughtful of, you know, the, the meditation that I had before. And I reflected on the experiences that I, you know, went through in that meditation. And I, damn it, didn't I find a rock that was facing east with parting pine trees and the sun coming up and warming me as it came up? It was just, that was my, that was my moment. Really? And um, that has stuck with me uh, to this day. If you look at the WSCA page where I do this addiction and recovery series, you'll see that picture of me. You'll, I don't know if you remember the painting that's there, but it's a, mur it's a mural of a guy wearing dungaree jacket, wearing jeans, um, doing like peace sign with the sun facing him with pine trees parting. Um, it was, it was, it was a, it's a representation of me in that moment. That's when I knew there was something else out there taking care of me. That was my moment. I love that. Thanks for sharing that story. Really cool. Um, and, and John, so um, that's a good segue. I mean, Mark told us, you know, in his story um, in episode nine, just, you know, a lot of trauma and the, the term trauma came up and um, a lot to work through. And, and I think that's going to, that's the case for most of the people I would assume that, that you work with. Um, talk a little bit about the relationship between trauma and spirituality and kind of overcoming trauma and spiritual trauma as well um, within this world of recovery um, and as as you are teaching people you know how to get better yeah i mean i think spirituality and developing some concept of that or these you know different ideas that we're talking about is part of what can heal people from trauma ultimately uh, forgiveness is a big factor in that having the kinds of moments mark was just describing are also a big factor in that because i think what can happen for people is they start to notice things like that. And whether or not there were always those connections to be made, there probably were. And most of us just don't notice them either because we're living the trauma of our everyday lives or we're just rushing through things or whatever. Um, but I think that that presence that Mark was just describing brings people peace. And when they, when they start to notice things like that and make connections like that, it's almost like a natural, um, natural high in a way, or just a, a remedy for a lot of the pain that people have been through, mm -hmm. you know? And I think when people start to notice things like that, it's usually a sign that their, their mind is healing. Um, but it's also a sign that like, they've, they've started to let go parts of their past. They've started to be able to forgive other people and forgive themselves. Because a lot of times with a lot of types of trauma, there's a part of the person that is blaming themselves too for what happened in one way or another. Um, so that ability to make peace with, with time, really with the past ultimately, is a part of anybody's healing from trauma. And I think all these spiritual concepts help with that. Mm -hmm. uh, mindfulness is another spiritual concept to me that Mark just you know, shared an amazing story. And you know, mindfulness ultimately is people becoming aware of what they're experiencing in the present moment. And a lot of times that's soothing and it calms people down. Because when you think about how, when people are emotionally aroused or agitated or scared or sad or overwhelmed, they're either thinking about something messed up from their past, mm -hmm. they're worrying about something that's yet to happen in the future or some possible threat that could come up. And so the present brings a lot of calm and peace with it. And that's the whole idea of 
mindfulness and having those types of spiritual connections and moments that Mark just described. Yeah. Um, on the topic of trauma, I know you mentioned this earlier, but what kinds of um, spiritual trauma do, do people bring in that you end up needing to work with them through? You mentioned, you know, I was, I was raised this way in this religion, and that's the way that I see um, spirituality. How do you, what, what do you see coming through the door and how do you work through those? Yeah, the most common one is, you know, people being, you know, they'll joke sometimes about being a recovered Catholic or being, um, but it's not just Catholic either. I think there's a lot, maybe a lot of that around this area, but like, um, or this part of the country in general. Um, but really anytime someone grew up with a religion that was like dogmatic and they feel like there was a lot of, or at least in some ways there was a disempowering element to the way that the religion was presented to them or the beliefs or the ideas were presented to them that as a kid, they really didn't have any choice, you know, and they had to do certain things that maybe they didn't want to do or they were reluctant to do. That's the most common thing that people might talk about, especially joke openly about in the group that will help people kind of talk about, okay, well, how do you still have a, you know, some concept of a higher power or spirituality, even though you had that experience. There's also, you know, the other types of trauma that people might connect to religion, like, you know, sexual trauma that might've happened. Um, if that's come up, we'll usually offer people support individually and separate from the group. And not that we completely censor people from talking about that at all, but we do provide the education if it does come up that the group therapy session isn't the best opportunity to work through that. So we'll help you connect to, you know, an individual therapist um, or a group maybe that's a little bit more specifically for people who've gotten through that kind of a, an issue. Uh, so we're able to offer support just depending on what, what comes up for the person in the moment. Yeah, for sure. Then, you know, the, the other thing that, that comes to mind for me is it seems like spirituality and as you kind of continue to learn more about spirituality and have these realizations and similar stories to what Mark said, which is just awesome. It seems like that drives a lot of what, and definitely correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that it would drive a lot of the, the traits or the um, things within someone that would bring them confidence again and give them hope and uh, maybe recreate some patience and start to kind of like build them up to the best person they can be from there. Like what kind of tools do you bring to people um, to use on a daily basis, I guess, to continue to evolve their spirituality or make sure that they are um, within strength in their spirituality day by day. So that's another one where I'd definitely be interested in hearing from Mark too, because I think he probably has some good examples of that. Mm -hmm. But, well, you know, the routine of showing up someplace three or four days a week for, you know, five or six weeks, um, that in and of itself can bring people some benefit, but also even just like a commitment to a group of people, you know, that they feel connected to. Um, so that's one example. We'll also encourage things like, you know, daily inventories, which, you know, it could be a different inventory. There are specific ones that folks that are involved in the 12 steps might do with a sponsor or some other kind of accountability partner. Um, but even just, even if they're not doing it with another person, if they develop a routine around reading something positive and um, energizing at the beginning of the day, 
um, or making a gratitude list twice a week. Um, helping people build routines and rituals around that is part of how they can change and heal for the better and also carries like a spiritual element to it. And the more they practice that, the more it becomes a, a part of who they are. Right. And a part of their own spirit as an individual. Right. So the, the nightly inventory and reflection um, in the morning and things that tools we've talked about in the past, that all goes along with spirituality in a, in a simple way to say it, right? <laughs> yeah. And people may not think of those things as spiritual necessarily. Sometimes they might think of that as mundane task at first. Mm -hmm. but the more you start to do it and see the value of it, that can evolve um, and get them more spiritually connected. Right. And again, just, you know, by way of, you know, simply explaining this to the, the folks listening, when you're, when you're within, you know, addiction, alcoholism, substance use, your spirit ultimately correct is, is broken, right? In its simplest form. And it, and it's a journey to try and get to a point, place to put it back together and start to really strengthen that. Correct. I would agree with that description. Yeah. I think again, individuals may, look at different ways of describing that but i think that that's that's an adequate way to describe it for sure <laughs> learning as i go here but i really enjoy you know especially kind of putting all these pieces together it's really helpful to to understand that and mark um from your perspective um what do you uh, you know on a daily basis like how how does spirituality live in your life now um in recovery um just to completely dovetail with what john was saying you know for me there's a self-awareness that I've gained as a result of working on my spiritual condition. I know people say they're, they feel like they're off the beam and you know, you have the image of a balanced beam or walking on a tightrope or something where, like I said, if you're in a state of harmony and things are in balance, you can walk the line. Um, but if you have a self-awareness and you're honest in that self-awareness, um, you know, I'm not, yeah, something's off today. I, I must have skipped something in my ritual today, or maybe I said something that came across the wrong way and those things that are nagging at me, you know, so having a self-awareness, I think for me is the start. Um, John talked about, you know, uh, a daily inventory. I think you referred to it as well. I, I bookend my day and, and I'm going to come back to the 12 steps in just a second. Cause I want to, let me, let me actually do that. Now. I want to decouple 12 steps from AA, NA, HA, or any of these 12, uh, these self-help uh, fellowships, I wish that I would have done the 12 steps earlier in my life and irrespective of my situation with my addiction and my recovery. Because what it did was it allowed me to develop a sense of a power, basically humility, which John talked about as a result of that, number one, I'm powerless. Number two, I'm not helpless. There's, there's, there's things that they can do out there to, to help my situation. It may not be me. It may be something else. So I've got to kind of humiliate, not humiliate, but humble myself um, to, to be open and, and accepting of those. Then I go through and take a look at my life. Where have I had you know, fears and resentments? And where was I dishonest? And all the things that have poisoned my sense of spirituality. And then how do I get those out of my head and out into the universe? And that's basically by, you know, saying those in the presence of another person uh, as it relates to the fifth step. And then you shift gears and focus on, okay, I've got these generic 
in person, uh, generic and personal and unique uh, character defects or characteristics of my life, some of which are good, some of which are perhaps not so good. And how about if I put it out there in the universe to get some help in, in removing those so I can be more open. Um, then you go through and you, 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 you atone for all the things that you've done to other people and not so much to ask their forgiveness, but to rid yourself of the burden of all of those things. So it's, 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 it's a selfish exercise where you hope for forgiveness and understanding, but you don't explicitly ask for it. And then 10, 11, and 12 is essentially how to live your life as a spiritual person. Number one, um, you know, do a daily inventory. Uh, that's step number 10. Uh, live a life of spirituality, prayer, and meditation, which is uh, step 11. And then step 12, having done all that, how can I now go forward and be of service to other people? It has nothing to do with AA. <laughs> Think about it. And so I wish I could have gone through and done that exercise much earlier in my life. So self-awareness, self-awareness, having a practice in place that allows me to live my life in, in, in spirituality. And then these exercises that I do in, uh, to meditate, first of all, music is my jam. I, I, I put on headphones, I can disappear for hours or I drive, I'll drive to the Canadian border and back just to be able to listen to a catalog of an artist, right? Um, in, <laughs> in my truck. Um, but it's also meditation. Um, I'm not as much into it. I'm, I am into it. I just have difficulty making the time for it. That's no excuse, but it's the reality. Uh, but being able to take 20 to 30 minutes and just quiet myself uh, to re-energize myself, I can do that through walks. I can do that through, you know, sitting on a chair. I even do it while I'm listening to music to some extent. Being more accepting of others and tolerant of others and valuing them and then being you know, grateful at the end of the day. Those are the things that allow me to keep strong my spiritual connection to my concept of a higher power. Yeah. And my gosh, like we underestimate the power of just taking 15 20 minutes out of a day, don't we? Like mm. it, it really like just to, and I've been personally doing that a lot more is just, I'm going to give myself this small window. I mentioned that at the beginning when we were talking, it's just, it's, it's really awesome when you stop for a second and you give yourself that time, what that does. And to your point, Mark, like, Hey, I'm in favor now that I know about the 12 step. I'm like, let's make that a, it's just a part of school as you grow up, right? To so just, it's, and, and we'll call it something else or whatever, just so that, you know, the stigma, hopefully we'll be done with, with stigma at some point, but it's just, it, I agree. Like I, I find, you know, as, as Chris was teaching me at first, I was like, why does this not become part of everybody's daily life, right? It, it is so much more than, than the, the substance use and, and the recovery and all that. I, I find it to be fascinating. So thanks, thanks for sharing that too. And so John, what else by way of spirituality, like what else do you find um, is helpful for those that are continuing to learn and that you talk to every day? Like what are we missing here and what might listeners benefit from in the, in the learning of spirituality? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a lot of different ways that you can probably incorporate it into your life. And I think um, part of it has to do with doing things that ground you and bring you into the present moment, which, which comes back to that mindfulness concept again. And like Mark said, it doesn't have to be, you can kind of do like formal meditation, which is to me the kind of like setting it up, and you know, having like either a recording you listen to or being in a quiet space or being in the right space. You can also do it while listening to music, while taking walks, uh, while doing almost any activity that kind of gets you into a grounded kind of like flow state. And I think that that's 
um, spiritual connection. There's other, I agree with both of you hundred percent too. To me, there's almost like two halves to um, like AA and NA and it's the fellowship. And then it's like the step work. And sometimes I think the fellowship is overemphasized and the step work is not emphasized enough because the fellowship is where sometimes can get, things can get a little bit sticky. You know, it's people's relationships. It's, you know, it can be clicky. Mm-hmm. That part, which has a tremendous amount of value for people sometimes when they build those social connections, but can also deter or repel some people if they don't feel included in some of those social groups. The 12-step piece is kind of like more of like the internal growth part that if people do the steps, there's a lot of very spiritual <clears throat> like healing that can happen through that process. So then there's other things like, uh, you know, like refuge recovery or, you know, types of like Eastern philosophies that have incorporated recovery and some of those have steps um, in workbooks and things that go along with them. Um, so, you know, acknowledging that the 12 steps are tremendously helpful and could be helpful to anybody that chose to do them. There are also these other resources and other pathways that people go down that that can have a spiritual component to them as well. Keeping the door open to all those is good. Yeah, for sure. Um, another thing that comes to mind for me, and I would be curious from both of you, if there is a connection here, I'm not trying to draw one if there's not, but is there a connection between you know, when relapse does happen and spirituality and that relationship, what I'm trying to get to is if, you know, Mark, if you were to relapse, like, is the journey to find spirituality again, is it longer? Is it easier? Is it still always there? I guess, is there a correlation between, you know, when you've kind of built yourself up into recovery and then you, you kind of fall back off um, into where you were before? Like, how does that how does that work um, in someone's mind? That's a deep question, but it's just something that I'm thinking of is like, is it harder to get them back to where they were in the recovery journey or easier or doesn't, doesn't matter case by case. (laughs) Yeah. I I can only speak for myself and I use the baseball analogy where you have a warning track Mm -hmm. and you're running back for a fly ball and you're going to hit, you know, there's like 15 yards of soft dirt that you can, you're getting close to the edge, but you're not quite there. Mm-hmm. Um, my warning track is how I feel at the end of the day or during the course of the day um, based on my actions and my and things that I've said and how I've treated other people. And every day, um, and, and when I do my, my meditation at night and my kind of my inventory of the day, I do it without a punitive uh, angle to it. In other words, it's a learning experience. So what could I have done better today that I can do tomorrow as opposed to, Jesus Christ, what a moron. I can't believe you did this again, you know? So, you know, so I kind of treat myself with kid gloves so that it's a learning experience because at the end of the day, I just want to be better tomorrow than I was from today. Um, So with my warning track is basically how I feel throughout the day. I I, I can tell if I'm spiritually grounded, if I take a few minutes just to reflect on it. And so if I find that I'm doing uh, things like uh, that, that play into my character flaws that I talked about earlier, if I'm being snippy, if I'm being judgmental, am I being uh, intolerant of people? Am I impatient? You know, am I, um, you know, feeling aggravated every time somebody or something happens? Am I watching too much news? Am I eating too much sweets? 
you know, am I, am I spending too much time on a computer? You know, those are the things that are my wanting track. And if I find myself, um, you know, answering yes to, you know, several or more of those questions, I know that I need to, I need to pause. I need to stop. I need to take a breath and figure out. So for me, the journey back would not be difficult. And I don't want to get to a point where I have to prove that wrong. Right. Prove that right or prove that wrong. But I know that if, if I can go, if I can hit the pillow at night with a clear conscience or with an understanding as to what I could do better tomorrow, it's a good day and I'm, I'm on track. Uh, mercifully and, and uh, gratefully so, that's, that's worked for me. Yeah, thank you for that. And John, any, any other color there? Yeah, I just think maybe the part of spirituality that has to do with staying connected and it doesn't necessarily always mean just connected to other people or like a support group or something like that. It can be just connected to your healthy behaviors, um, connected to the things that like Mark was pointing out that keep you kind of grounded. Yeah. Um, that's when the impact, how quickly someone can get back to those things is probably going to determine how long or short something like um, drinking or taking drugs, how long that lasts. Like, I think it just, it, it's going to depend on the person's perspective, what they believe about themselves. You know, Mark made the point too of like, is it, are they punishing themselves over it or are they able to like keep an open mind and, you know, get back to what they were doing that worked. Um, that's probably going to determine how long that goes on. And there's a spiritual element to that because I think when people are not um, in touch with their spirituality, they're disconnected from healthy behaviors, healthy people, just the healthy changes in their life that they had made. Right. And it, I mean, it sounds like it really comes down to the willingness and putting in the time, kind of like what we hear about with, with all of this, right. Is just open-mindedness, willingness, and putting in um, the time to dedicate to re recovery or building your spirituality or any of these things that we've been talking about. Correct. If I can tell Practice. you how much time I invested into driving to score, or, you know, to, um, you know, how much time I sat at a bar or at a casino table or I've got plenty of time for this. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a great point. And I think on the flip side, because we have so many listeners that are loved ones that haven't been through an addiction or alcoholism um, on their own. What about the role of spirituality for those that are trying to learn about this because they have a loved one that's struggling. John, do you guys teach any sort of spirituality or tools um, to family members and loved ones? Um, does it look similar? Um, anything to speak to there? That's interesting because the tools are the same, but I feel like maybe with family members, the concept of spirituality or that term gets introduced even less. And maybe it's just because we have, ultimately we're gonna have more dialogue with the people who come to the group than their family members. Yep. Um, but we try to teach them the same tools around connection and healthy behaviors and things that, you know, help them feel grounded. When we interact with family members, we would teach them those same concepts. We don't really introduce how that's connected to spirituality into the conversation. So that's maybe something for us to look, <laughs> to look at a little bit more when we do have those interactions with family members. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just. Yeah, I, I interpreted that question, Jackie, is a little bit different. Um, what about a family member who's concerned about somebody in their family who is um, obviously has a spiritual, uh, a loss of spiritual values? 
and as part of their struggle and the ability for that family member to influence that individual uh, and, and you know, point them towards a solution of spirituality. And mm. like John mentioned in his uh, comments just a minute ago, that is, I think, difficult because it's one thing to suggest and promote spirituality as a solution for the individual who's in recovery. I think it's quite another thing for a family member to try to do the same thing. And it gets back to this concept of a mentorship or whether you want to call it a sponsor. But I, I think even outside of AA, you can have a mentor, spiritual mentor or recovery mentor, or John mentioned accountability partner, somebody who can have an honest conversation about things that the, uh, the individual can identify with. I'm not so sure that parents and brothers and sisters and, children of people who are having difficulties have the spiritual credibility in the context of recovery that you would get from a mentor. Right. And I think just on the side of a family member though, what support could they seek? And, you know, to John's point, like maybe thinking more about like, how can we guide family members on the same spiritual journey? Because really what we're talking about today is it's, it's looking inward and it's really understanding like, you know, how can you be more mindful and and what practices can you put into place and tools are similar. So, you know, how do we tackle this? Cause I just think, you know, as we've talked about in, in, in substance use disorder, it's like, we, we sometimes, we don't forget about the family members and loved ones, but we focus so much on those that are struggling um, uh, or have, have gone through addiction alcoholism. Um, and, and so, you know, a lot of listeners have questions about like, what can I be doing too, right? And I think- Yeah, well, Al-Anon, Al-Anon is a 12-step program as well. Um, not everybody, you know, gravitates towards an a- 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 Al-Anon type of uh, program, but I know, for instance, my wife, Vivian, who's also been a guest on, on your program here, your podcast series, she um, has in the past and is um, actually going to start again with a- Al-Anon fourth step meeting and it's not yeah. so much what did I do to cause my loved one to, to pick up it's what's what's my role in all this and it's a self-reflection of an inventory of things that perhaps I could have done differently just to make myself a better person and so th- they're out there they're kind of hard to find but it's certainly to John's point something that we should be promoting uh, more frequently and more rigorously. Agreed. And I've heard more recently too, so many great success stories coming in out of family members leaning on Al-Anon too. So um, thanks for bringing that up. The last question that comes to mind, and this is, this is kind of a strange one too. Why not? I'm just throwing them all out there. Does religion or what somebody has been used to their entire lives, um, does that ever get in the way of you trying to teach spirituality the right way or the most effective way? (laughs) <laughs> I've I've seen that kind of I would say in the sense that there's been times when someone has so been so committed to their specific religion yeah. at bringing in some of these more like universal concepts has unintentionally and inadvertently made them feel like their specific belief system was being um or whatever through that process but the very very i can actually only think of like one instance where that kind of happened you know if that's what you're referring to and i you know i made some you know comments earlier in the podcast about people's religious trauma and again we'll have a sense of who's who has what beliefs in their group and if there's someone who i who we are aware of 
you know, embraces a particular religion that others have had trouble with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had that conversation in a way that will try to keep it respectful. But I do think that people can get so firm into their beliefs about anything, whether it's religion or something else, that it gets in the way of growth for sure. Yeah. When in reality, it should complement, right? It should go hand in hand. Yeah, if you they can coexist. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Ideally. Religion and spirituality can and should coexist. Right. I mean, in my view, religion is sort of a set of practices and dogmas and, um, you know, rituals and so forth that lead somebody to a sense of connection yep. to something outside of themselves. That's the essence of spirituality in my book. I love it. Uh, so I want to be conscious of time here. This has been a really good discussion. And I think we could probably talk for three more hours on this as well. Um, anything that uh, either of you would like to leave listeners with on this topic of spirituality um, or anything we've discussed today? It's a journey, journey to get there. Um, and the journey is where the growth comes from, not the destination. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it sort of came up too. And it came up in the first conversation I had with you guys, as well as the idea of practice and repetition creates the spiritual growth. So if people get in, you know, whatever the practice is that helps them feel more connected, more grounded, healthier, healed, whatever, um, the more they do that and repeat it, the more it becomes, you know, a natural part of their life and promotes growth. So awesome. Well, thank you guys for joining again. We will continue to have these great discussions as often as we can. Um, and we time allows, <laughs> but really appreciate you jumping back on. Um, and thank you again for the time. Thanks for doing this as always. Thanks. Thanks, thank you. Until next time. <laughs>